Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Roxy Soxy. Good morning, Tam Tam. How's what it going? What a hell of a week, I mean, might I tell you. Oh, my God. I can't even believe that you, you're, like, so strong. I You are holding it together. Don't make me cry. Don't make me you cry. Are, don't no. make me cry. You um, are. I don't think I'm holding it together. The funny thing is, for the first seven days, I actually, I actually think I went into this shutdown mode where mm-hmm. I just kept going and going and going. And, you know, my husband was okay. He has COVID, um, which we talked about in the last um, show. And for the first seven days, um, it wasn't so bad. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just had to take care of the kids and take care of him. And I was okay with that. And then on the weekend, everything changed and I got really afraid. And I just kept blinders on and I just kept going for the kids and for him. But then, you know, it got so bad by Tuesday that I thought that I might never see him again. Mm. And then by Wednesday, which was yesterday, it actually got to a better position. Mm-hmm. And I, all day yesterday, I was a mess because I think there was um, such PTSD and mm-hmm. I was trying to keep it together for everyone. And then I just, when you relax, your body just you know, lets it all out. So, and I mean, I think too, with COVID, like we were talking about this last week, one day can be great. The next day, you know, changes and it's up and down. And so Mm -hmm. I can tell that you've been living on like on the edge now for almost two weeks, you know, and And you've been amazing. And the thing is like, I didn't even want to do a podcast, but then I thought, Thank God we're doing a podcast with the person we're doing a podcast with. Because if we were supposed to be doing a podcast with a comedian, I'd be like, I can't do this. I have no jokes up my sleeve. This is um, like and the last night, yeah, session you will ever I know. Have. I was like, this is great because I can't get into her, even though she's like two hours away from me. <laughs> this woman is someone that I, I was talking about to you before, Roxy, that I would like literally be in the bathtub at nighttime because I've struggled with anxiety and emotional issues like my whole life. And She's just helped me so much. She has this new book called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, which is like my whole life is a mess. So please, five simple scientifically proven, you know, uh, steps to reduce anxiety is five steps. I was like, if I'd known it was only five freaking steps, I would have done it a long time ago and saved a lot more money. Her name is Caroline Leaf. She's a cognitive neuroscientist and communication um, pathologist. And welcome so much. Just welcome to Women Yay, on Top. Today. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you both. I really appreciate it. Thank you for that lovely intro. So fix us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could. I think I wrote the book for me more than anyone else. You know, we, one thing we need to realize, if you're human, you're a mess. And that is okay. 
Wow. And that is really the main message that I bring through in all my work. I mean, I've been in this field for 38 years. I'm a scientist. I'm a researcher. I've been a clinical therapist for 25 of those 38 years. And I honestly can say as, as a, if you're a human and you're alive, you're a mental mess. And that's why my podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess and why my most recent book, which is about to be released in 2nd of March. And it's really the, the fact that we live on a continuum of life. And, you know, the, uh, the way I love to explain it, it's, which is very sort of manageable and understandable, is if you think of a continuum and in the middle is zero and on the one side it goes from one to ten and the other side it goes from minus one to minus ten. Mm-hmm. And then you, if you think of that, there's a bell curve and the bell curve is around the minus four to plus four. In any one day, we as humans hover in the minus four plus four zone. And that's going from breaking into tears, getting totally frustrated, having a fight, getting depressed, getting worked up, getting to having a great discussion, a great moment, uh, wanting to give up, very excited and the up and down. Up. And that's so normal and so human and so much part of our narrative. And then there'll be things in our life that will be, that will shoot us into the plus 10 where there's something ecstatic and an amazing situation, but it doesn't last for, for long, 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 but you can grab onto that and you can wire that into your psyche and your brain to help you to, to back, cope with the difficult times. And then there's times where we have such a lot of trauma that it'd be slipped down to the seven, eight, nine, minus seven, eight, nine, 10. And we can have psychotic breaks and things like bipolar and schizophrenia. And I say those words because they're not illnesses. They're not mm-hmm. it's, they're simply descriptions. They are symptoms of an underlying issue. Or So they depression is not an illness. It's not an it. Anxiety is not a neuropsychiatric brain disease. Bipolar is not a neuropsychiatric brain disease. Mm-hmm. Schizophrenia is not a neuropsychiatric brain disease. These scary words are not brain diseases Mm -hmm. they are your brain will respond and we can talk about that as we're going on but they are basically symptoms warning signals alarms that something is going on in your life that you need to pay attention to and we need to do that we need to manage our mind and we also need to do that with the support of each other like you said you two have helped each other so much through this past couple of weeks Mm -hmm. and with your husband having COVID and so on we need each other so really if if we can just level the playing fields that's one of the first things that we need to do just because I'm in mental health and I'm a scientist and a researcher for 38 years doesn't mean I've got it all together Mm -hmm. anyone who says they have they're lying and we up and down Mm -hmm. all the time I mean we have issues going on all the time and and we know that but Mm -hmm. we act like it's so strange to have something going on and then it's immediately and, and unfortunately I've watched this in my trajectory of my career I've watched how 30 40 years ago we looked at the person and their story and I knew, we used to work with a team. So if someone came to my practice or we worked in wherever I worked, different places, we never just had a list of symptoms and diagnosed. We actually worked with a whole team of professionals, mm-hmm. but the most important person in that team was the actual person battling and their family. And we would listen to their story. Then it shifted as we got more into the brain. And I mean, I'm a neuroscientist. I've studied the brain and I've even got one on my table here. The brain for for years, 38 years now. And as as we've learned more about the brain, so we've become as a society and as a medical world, we've become more neuroreductionistic. And everything's come down to finding this elusive reason why I'm depressed in my brain. So my brain made me do it has become the language. And it's one of the worst things we could have done and I talk about that in my book cleaning up your mental mess I talk about how the mental health system has actually made us sicker and more mentally unhealthy and it hasn't helped and if fortunately there is there are a large group of us now that are fighting against that but it's the, the whole thing of you've got depression 
here's a symptom checklist. Let's give you a diagnosis. Let's give you a label. Let's say there's three of us, these three of us talking now. Let's say all of us have depression. Does that mean that we're all ill with the same thing? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. If you're depressed, it's because your husband's got COVID and he nearly he could he was close to potentially dying. Mm-hmm. I'm depressed maybe because of whatever. You depressed because of whatever. So in other words, they, you can't tell us we've got one disease. There's no depression in my brain waiting to jump out and in your brain in the same place and that's how ridiculous it's got they're looking for the neurobiological correlates saying your depression is because you've got something wrong with your brain that has come from um, the, the biomedical neuroreductionistic model which works beautifully and i've got all these props to help us for the brain and the body it works beautifully for the physical like if you've got cardiovascular issues or immune def- deficiency or problems with your brain or whatever neurologically with t- a brain injury or something but it does not work for your mind mm-hmm. your mind is not your brain your mind is is separate from your brain they're two different things they work together they're separate but inseparable but we can't treat them with the same paint them with the same brush mm-hmm. and that's the mistake we've made and we see the evidence because between 1998 and 2014 we saw a change in a trend and that trend is as technology and medicine advanced as our understanding of the brain advanced mm-hmm. our understanding of mind went backwards Mm-hmm. So in other words, we are actually worse off now mentally, mm-hmm. mind-wise than we were before. So for decades, people have been living longer because of advances, but this trend reversed. By 2014, it had completely reversed. We're now in a reverse trend where people are dying 8 to 25 years younger than they should be. And because of preventable lifestyle issues based on how we manage mm-hmm. our mind. And no one talks about this. I don't hear anyone talking about this. It's the biggest but it's one of the biggest pandemics that we currently have in our current era. And people are not, all we're talking about is, oh, there's a mental health problem. We've got to diagnose mm-hmm. more and give more medication. That is the reason why people are getting sick. If we say people are going through a pandemic, we, we're obviously going to be depressed and anxious. It doesn't mean you have a brain disease. It means that you're having a normal response to adverse circumstances. And in history, from the beginning of time, whenever that was, when humans are going through adverse circumstances, they will respond with their mind and it will affect their body. And we've got to stop saying it's a disease. You've got to start treating the whole person and recognizing the narrative. Sorry, I gave you a whole mouthful there. <laughs> is depression or anxiety, this is one of the questions I'd written for later, but it seems to work for what you were saying. Is it learned behavior or is it something that you can be predisposed to? Like if you come from a family member who has severe depression or bipolar or anxiety disorder, does that mean that you're more susceptible to have that mental, I, I guess it's called a mental illness, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, is Are you more predisposed to it because of that? A yeah, good question. First of all, what we need to do is change the narrative. It's not a mental illness. Okay, what's it called? De- mental depression. Depression is not anything. It's not an. It's not. A, it's not an it. It's very real, but it's not an it. It's a symptom. It's not a behavior. It's mm-hmm. not a illness. An illness. It's not like diabetes or cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. and which, which is the message we've been told, which is what's causing people to die younger. What it is is it's a symptom. If you get angry, it doesn't mean you have a disease of anger. If you if you get frustrated, it doesn't mean you have a disease mm-hmm. of of frustration. Illness 
this and um, depression is on this and on a par with depression and ang- with anger and frustration so what we need to see is depression is a symptom it's a descriptive word that is a symptom where we f- where you feel down and sad etc but it's mm-hmm. a supporting signal there's a reason behind it so it's not an illness sorry it is a symptom of an underlying cause so that's mm-hmm. the very first part of that answer mm-hmm. in terms of it being a learned behavior it's not a behavior so you don't learn depression it's a response it's a response mm-hmm to some kind of a situation, something that's going on in your life. Maybe it's a trauma that you had very young and it's going on and you've suppressed it and it's come being triggered by whatever, um, or you're going through that, whatever, COVID, financial, whatever, mm-hmm. political racism, there's a million, trillion mm-hmm. different reasons why people can feel depressed. But we've got to get away from the narrative that it's a dep- that it's an illness that, that you've got. It is a response. So it's not an mm-hmm. illness, it's a response to an underlying. In terms of like, if it's, if it's is there genetic component there's no research conf- there's no research saying that this that it's genetic they've tried they spent billions of dollars for th- the last 50 years trying to prove that it's got a genetic origin and that it's got a brain a neurological neurobiological correlate so as i said earlier i'm like jumping out of your brain they've never been able to show that because it it isn't like that Mm -hmm. it isn't something that's in your brain what does happen is you can be in a family where you you um, where a child sees a mother who's very or a father who's very depressed so Mm -hmm. they're seeing that behavior and Mm -hmm. that's the result that person that parent is depressed because of whatever there's an it's a symptom of an underlying issue and let's Mm -hmm. say that they never deal with that 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 is a very real here's another here's another um prop this is a oh my gosh that's an interesting prop (laughs) yeah (laughs) movie set (laughs) looks like my dustbuster gone wrong in the fire i know it does so this this is a talk this is i know it's that's a good description this is a toxic thought versus this is a healthy thought okay so and we'll talk more about how they form and all that in a moment but essentially this a toxic thought this could be anything that's happened to anyone anything that 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 we experience is built into the brain if it's toxic if it's an adverse experience of any sort it'll be built into the brain in an in, in an abnormal format but it's built into the brain that thing generates causes the brain and the body to to respond because your body's trying to get rid of this like, like it, it treats it like it's a virus like mm-hmm. a COVID. It'll, it'll fight it your body fights this mm-hmm. and in fighting that you get all these signals and some of the signals are things like um like the depression anxiety etc so those are warning signals that something's going on mm. if you don't deal with this ever as a parent it goes through the sperm and the ova and it passes to the next generation and it passes down through generations it's called epigenetics but it goes through dormant it's not a genetic thing there's not a genetic fault it's a mutation that mm. goes because this is all wired into the genes. So it goes through as as like a ba- like baggage, like baggage, mm-hmm. and it passes through, but it's dormant, it's asleep. It can be activated. So what it does is it creates an what we call an epigenetic proclivity. So in other words, there's the potential that uh, that it could be triggered and activated. But you you can go through life with a whole bunch of these, and we've all got a whole bunch of different stuff from our parents and grandparents and great grandparents, and and we maybe some of them get triggered and activated. Some of them they just they just go away because you mm-hmm. just don't you just don't think like that, or you don't get triggered, or if you do, you manage it. In other words, it doesn't mean if you've got this that that that's it you've got this genetic illness and that's it for the rest of your life that's the message that we've been told but it's not science it's an easy message to sell it's an easy message to medicate Mm. but it's not and it's an easy message to sort of put in a box like you can with cardiovascular disease or immune disease or with any biological disease 
but the, the, this proclivity then if if it's in your family yes there is you know you if you've grown up seeing depression and if you've got this in your genes it's there dormant so it's there's a proclivity but it doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to get depression it's very much dependent on whether you what you do with us so you can decide okay this i can see it's happening to me and you can start managing it but let me stop there and you can ask some questions and i can explain it in detail with all my little props and things oh i love the props yes, i know so good you know going back to the toxicity point that you were making about these yes. thoughts you know i think like you're saying they can be um you know multi-generational and happen over and over again and then you can also see things for example on tv like for example what happened this past weekend yeah in yeah Washington, DC. and those can like you know trigger these very toxic thoughts and then you get sucked up sort of into the news cycle and you're seeing this person talk about this and this and that and it just builds and it builds and it builds so what is the best way to take that like all that toxicity in there and channel it into something more or just to even just get rid of the toxicity well, it's an excellent question. And yes, we're immersed in that. And every generation has is always immersed in something. So our generation happens to be immersed in racism, political chaos, and mm-hmm. um, and this this global disease that for the first time humanity is facing some the same common enemy, which is interesting. So we're in a very interesting time. But if we go back to 10 years ago, they were facing something. And 20 years ago and 100 years ago. So every generation is immersed in life. And life mm-hmm. is experienced by humans. And how do we experience it? <clears throat> Through our mind. And mm-hmm. what is what is our mind and what is our brain and what's the role of both? So to answer your question, mm-hmm. the first part is that every generation is going through something. Ours happens to be X. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is we need to understand what the mind is and what the brain is. Mm-hmm. That understanding, where we can unpack that in a very simple way, then we'll give you the answer, which is mind management. We need to manage our mind. So if I can unpack that very simplistically, is that okay? Can I unpack it? Okay, so um, I'm going to unpack the difference between mind and brain and then move into answering how you, what mind management is. So we, we use the word mind and brain interchangeably, and that's wrong, okay, because the mind is not the brain. But because of the last 50 years, especially the last 30 years of the focus on the brain, the brain has become an obsession. Everything is brain. My brain made me do it. My whatever is the kind of, mm-hmm. so it's, and I mentioned that's neuroreductionism, but the brain is a physical substance. If you did, your brain's not going to be alive anymore. Your brain's going to disintegrate no matter how much we try and keep it alive. You know, you can, you can't. Okay. So in other words, what's keeping it alive? You, I mean, you're alive. So what are you? You are your mind. What is mind? It's your unique way that you think, feel, and choose. Because what are you doing as a human? What are you doing right now? You're listening and you're seeing and you're thinking about what I'm telling you. You've been thinking this whole time. In fact, you never don't think. You can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen. But you cannot even go three seconds without using your mind. So your mind is the thing that drives you as a human. And if you get that then you can start unpacking all the rest of it. So just responding to the news, responding to the situation with COVID, responding to what happened last Wednesday, responding to what's how they're managing it, responding to what's going on in the world, racism, 
responding just to waking up in the morning and your kids are screaming at you, the cereals on the floor, that your husband's better or not better, your you get a text from some life. It's all and ex- every experience you receive as you wake up in the morning, you process it through your thinking, feeling, and choosing. So you are always thinking, feeling, and choosing. There isn't a millisecond that you're not thinking, feeling, and choosing. And that's mind. Mind is those three things. You think, when you think, you feel. When you think and feel, you choose. So those three things are happening all the time at 400 billion actions and faster on your in your non-conscious mind you're consciously aware of your thinking feeling and choosing more or less every 10 seconds and we can train ourselves to be conscious of our consciousness we can train ourselves to be conscious of how we are thinking feeling and choosing it's a skill it's a malleable skill and it's a skill we should be training our kids and it's a skill we should be training ourselves and it's a skill you spend your entire life developing mind and that's basically mind management it's managing how you think feel and choose every 10 seconds now that may sound like a tall order but, but how do you do that <laughs> sorry to interrupt like you say no it, it, i can tell that you're the kind of person that walks like wakes up in the morning and if there's a negative thought you're able to change that thought i don't think i'm able to do that I like that's i wake up and I go, oh, fuck, excuse my French. I have to do this again. I have to do this again and clean and homeschool and feed. And like, I don't know how to be positive about that experience, although I'm grateful because I love my family, but I don't know how to feel positive. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but no, I'm just like, no, how no, do no. you do it? No, I'm <laughs> like, glad, tell me. Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you interrupted because it, it, it I may look like I got all together, but there's a mental mess in my head too. I mean, I just woke up, this, it was yesterday morning I woke up and within five minutes I was in this mood of going from being so happy to totally flustered and I was worrying about a whole bunch of stuff and it affected, the, it, it literally affected how I was functioning. But the difference now is that in the past I would have spiraled mm. and I would have stayed a mental mess I now from the scientific research that I have done and mm-hmm. I apply this so I'll forget like like I went I ended up getting so worked up I went to um I go to a workout every day I do a fasted workout every single day and I went to my mm-hmm. fasted workout with my daughter because she works out well my kids will work out but I happen to be with just one of my daughters and she said something to me and it triggered me and I ended up having this argument with her in the car and mm-hmm. here's this together to person I was <laughs> such a mess and this was in within like I woke up like this is in a 30 minute period now Mm -hmm. I know what to do I know how to get it under control but it took me 30 minutes of getting more and more of a mess to get and then I got on that treadmill and I was so full of energy both stormed out of the car onto the treadmill (laughs) in orange theory and like started pounding that treadmill and normally I'd be exhausted because it was a really hard workout that day I was just pounding it through but what I did was I I, I, I knew how to bring myself back yes it took me 30 minutes Mm -hmm. but I and sometimes it takes me five minutes and sometimes five seconds and sometimes three hours Mm -hmm. but the difference is I know what to do and the difference is that as I apply a sign scientist mind to everything and that's what I'm trying to help people do and that's why I wrote this book and that's why I put my clinical trials in this book that everything I do is science it's got a base it comes from my heart what I need what my kids need what my patients needed Mm -hmm. and what I see missing from the world of mental health and the world of therapy and the world of life that who's teaching us that it's okay to have a crazy mess in your head and what to do about it no one all we're being told is you get a diagnosis you get a label you got to go to therapy for 5,000 years Mm -hmm. and and things just don't seem to, and then you've got to get up the next day and do the same old thing. And how do you get, okay, so I decided wow. years ago, <laughs> what do you do? So I wanted to understand mind. Mm. If, if, how do, if, what is thinking, feeling, and choosing? What does it mm. do? 
and how do I influence it? So the so that's why you that's where I developed the five steps from. The five steps are so simple, but they are based on 38 years of profound science, clinical trials, thousands of patients, um, thousands of hours of, of work. So, so when I say them so simplistically, I want to stress the scientific side. I don't teach woo-woo wellness. Uh-huh. I teach hardcore scientific fact that when you do this, this is going to happen in your brain. This is going to happen in your body. This is going to happen in your mind. So the five, I'm going to give you the big picture of the five steps and then backtrack to mind the mind-brain definition, okay? Mm-hmm. So just very quickly, mind is how you think, feel, and choose. You do that all the time. You never, at night, during the day, you think, feel, and choose to build thoughts. At nighttime, you are sorting out the thoughts that you build. So you always, you're still thinking, feeling, and choosing even at night, which is why you dream. You're preparing for the next day. So if you always think feeling and choosing you which is always changing your brain your brain's never the same that's neuroplasticity then my argument is how do we direct that process and that's where the five steps were birthed out of 38 years of research in trying to work out what is mind and how do you control it what is thought what is memory what is this negative and positive thinking and how do i get out of this mental mess what did i do on the treadmill i apply those five steps okay Mm -hmm. so the five steps are we've got to be aware we've got to embrace it's not just being aware it's not just meditation mindfulness whatever Mm -hmm. that when that's decontextualized, it actually makes you worse. That's what the science shows. Mm-hmm. You can't just be aware and think, oh, now I'm aware of my body and everything. That's not enough. You can't decontextualize it out of its whole Eastern philosophy. And that's what people have done. And the science shows it's actually caused more problems than good. You, you, so I'm not talking about that awareness. I am talking about an embracing. Like you embrace your kids, you embrace your husband. You embrace what you are feeling. I embraced my anger, my frustration, my irritation, my snapping at my daughter, the argument that we had. I embraced my unreasonableness as I as I got onto that treadmill. The first thing I do though is I recognize my energy, toxic energy. I was totally frustrated and I channeled it into exercise. In that exercise, I immediately within two minutes of the treadmill, I had started calming down. I also immediately got oxygen in my brain and I did what I call the 10 second pause. This is a foolproof breathing mm-hmm. exercise that will calm you down when you want to kill your family we want to throw the damn day especially in quarantine exactly and when you just say that's it i'm done i'm out of here forever you're Mm. never going to see me again when you're feeling like that or someone says something to you you just like this is it this 10 second pause is a fail proof way of calming you down what it is is you and i did this on the treadmill while i was running so i was channeling into exercise so movement is great you don't have to get on a treadmill you can jump up and down you can drop to the floor and do press-ups you can run up and down your stairs but when you're feeling that total burst where you can't cope do some movement because it will take that toxic energy which i will show with images in a moment and it will transfer it energy is never lost energy is transferred so you can control where energy goes so in a high state of stress and negativity transfer the energy move then breathe as you as you move like you're breathing anyway but move and then do this exercise 10 second pause so you breathe in for three and then you breathe out for seven and you do that six to nine times and more if you need to as you breathe in so in two three and then out two, three, four, five, six, seven. When you breathe out for longer than you breathe in, you increase your decision-making capability. That's powerful. I'm going to say it again. Your ability to make decisions in a reasonable way will improve. Why? Because you're pushing oxygen to the front part of your brain. The front part of your brain, when you're conscious and awake and in the midst of that negativity, the argument, the whatever, the energy 
um, the energy becomes very, um, you get too much what we call high beta energy. You get little red spots across this part of the brain, which means it's like a tsunami in your, in your brain. And your mind is using your brain because your mind is how you think, feel and choose. And it's this energy, this quantum energy that, that is you, that you, you push through your brain. And if you push in this messy quantum energy through your brain, your brain becomes a mess. Your response of your brain, your brain will respond. And it gets, you get these, these crazy, think of just like rapids or something. That's what happens in the front of your brain. That drops oxygen, drops blood flow, and you get little holes in the front of your brain if we had to do a, different types of scanning. When you like that, you've, you then become reactive and impulsive. You don't become a responder. You become a reactor and an impulsive reactor. That's when you will say the worst things and you'll do the most stupid things. Oh my gosh, so that's me, oh my yeah. god, uh, it's all of us. It's yeah. all of us. See, do it's you say all the of us. Things? Yeah, that. It's, oh my god, horrible things. I'm especially your, my partner, like my husband. You know, it's, it's such like horrible things. It's, I know. I and know. he says you're being a witch. I'm like, you're said what? <laughs> <laughs> you could never say that. You can't exactly. say I'm being anything. Right? Yeah. So we need to embrace that. We need to, that's, and that's the first step. So one, you need to embrace, I'm, I'm feeling like a this or that or whatever. We, we mustn't be scared of that. You see, shift shift your perspective. We think it's so bad. We we, we run ourselves, we, we laugh and run ourselves down. But no, that's being human. It's okay to lose your cool, but then you need to bring it back again. So l- listen to what I'm saying. Don't see them as negative. Th- those negative reactions as bad and terrible. You evil and you this terrible person. See them as, oh gosh, okay, that's not the best reaction, but I embrace it. I bring it into my fold. I I gather awareness of it. And then I move and I breathe in this way because then I'm going to increase my ability of my brain to allow energy to flow through. And my mind has to use my brain. So this brain's going wonky because of the mess i can't use my brain properly so get control back and if you say oh gosh this is so terrible i'm so bad this is so bad and you see it as bad you then throw 1400 neurophysiological responses into disarray and now your body's working against you you've dropped the oxygen the blood flow all these things are going wrong not only there in your heart every cell of your body is affected so in our current western culture we are trained to see all that as bad and depression, everything is bad. I'm telling you from my research, plus research coming out of Japan and Texas University, they've also just released a study. I've just done the study where if you shift your perspective and say, okay, I'm mad as hell. I'm just made such a mess. I'm this awful person. I'm screaming, shouting, but I embrace that. I accept it. I own it. As soon as you shift and say, okay, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm not just this. This is happening for a reason. I see this as helpful. Can you hear what I'm saying? So instead of, I'm actually saying, this is helpful. Let me look at myself. The argument with my daughter, this is helpful. I, it was a horrible argument, but and it was unreasonable, but this is helpful. I embrace that. And then I look for the message behind it. Why did I do that? And how can I repair that situation? So what I, I got to that point first by doing the exercise, doing that 10-second pause, and you add a cognitive component to the 10-second pause. What you do is you, when you breathe in for one, two, three, you also add the words, think, feel. And when you breathe out, you add the words choose. So it's literally think, feel, choose. So you're breathing and you're speaking out loud or silently. When you combine the breath work with the cognitive, you you rebalance the brain very fast. You drop the neurochemical chaos and the mental mess very fast. If you repeat that six to nine times, so 60 to 90 seconds, it takes about that amount of time for a level of calm to come back in. If you can mix it with a bit of exercise too, and even things like, there's a lot of little things, tricks you can do. You can do some tapping. 
you know, just like this, a little bit, those, just what I've just done now in combination or havening, which is just rub your arms. I mean, no one even needs to know what you're doing. You just like can do this. Those, that sensation brings your body back in alignment and gets your physiology under control. You can do that. Everything I've just described, you can literally do in 60 seconds, Mm -hmm. in 60 to 90 seconds. You can be doing that breathing while you're jumping up and down or doing press-ups or wiggling or walking, whatever you decide to do. Then once you've done that, you then move into the actual five steps and you then go through this, the five steps. You embrace, you reflect, you write, you recheck and you active reach. Okay, so the embracing is the gathering awareness is gather awareness. Think of picking apples and putting them in a basket or think of hugging your kids. It's a seeing that emotion as helpful. So my irritation or frustration or whatever with, with the argument with my daughter, I embrace that. And then I, so then I looked, what are, what are my emotional warning signals? I could, and they were the emotions of frustration, irritation, anger, whatever, whatever the list was. Then I looked at, okay, what are my physical warning signals? Tension in my body, my whole body had tensed up so much that my foot had gone to sleep in that, in that few seconds in the car. And as I walked in, I realized, geez, my foot's got pins and needles and it was a tension. So I, I focused in on, and then, then I got on this treadmill and I did, you know, I had, I did the breathing and the exercise. Okay. So the breathing ex- and the movement and the gathering all sort of happened together. Um, and then I was very aware, okay, what were my behaviors? I spoke like this, I did that, I did this. So I started tuning in and I didn't see them as, I was very objective, very clinical, very therapeutic. I was using what I call the multiple perspective advantage where you stand back and observe your own thinking. Mm-hmm. And in, so I distanced myself and I was watching myself in the car on the treadmill. Then I started the second step, which is reflect. Okay, why did I respond like that? Why did, what triggered that? What, why did, and then I asked, answered and discussed. And then I was on the treadmill, so I couldn't write, but normally you would write, but you can visualize. So if you're in a place where you can't write, you can actually visualize because visualizing writes genetically in your brain. So then I re-visualized the entire scene and I re-visualized and saw what I did, what she did. And suddenly I was able to pull this mental mess out into the visual imagery and see what really had happened. Then once I had pulled it all out, I then did what step number four, I rechecked. I thought, okay, what actually went wrong here? I She said this, but I was already worked up. I was already woke up feeling anxious about something in my business. And I was already quite triggered. She said something about the business. It was a very reasonable question, but it was her tone of voice and her the way she used her body on top of the way I'd woken up feeling, which shifted. So that was what I did in my recheck. I recognized that I had jumped into an old pattern of whatever, whatever. So in other words, my recheck helped me to clinically analyze why I had fallen into that. So then my active reach, which is an action, a full stop, it's something that you do to keep you in mental peace, was, okay, I acknowledge my role, what I did wrong. And by that stage, by the time I had got to to saying that, I realized we were both saying the same thing, that we were actually arguing about the same thing. But I had no clarity initially. But then once I got clarity, I was able to see, okay, we were both saying the same thing. It was just the way she said it and the way I was already feeling that it triggered this response. So my active reach was I caught her eye in the middle of, of, um, because she was on the treadmill next to me, and we Mm -hmm. kind of both smiled at each other. Lo and behold, she was doing the same thing because she knows she's trained in this. She works with my producer. And so by the time we got off the treadmill, we couldn't, we could not get to each other quick enough to say sorry. And she got it out first and we then sorted it out driving home. So that, then that was the, con- so you see what we took, what could have been an awful, yeah, 
situation. It could have gone on longer. I could feel myself justifying. She was justifying, whatever. We we got it sorted out. And I mean, that is, it could have gone the other way. And you may say, oh, you're the mom. She's the daughter. It's easy to do that, whatever. It's a friend. Listen, you can bring in every excuse in the book. But the fact of the matter is that's happened. That just happened to me. Mm-hmm. Daily, I'm using this. And those five steps you neurocycle all the, through all the time. What I've essentially just told you is that I got my mind under control with a mind technique. So deep down in the depths of who you are, your thinking, feeling, and choosing is your non-conscious mind, N-O-N, non-conscious mind. It's the biggest part of you. It is the most intelligent part of you. It's dynamic. It's huge. We can use quantum physics to understand it. It's very scientific. It's all the beautiful you-ness. And the core of it is this wisdom, this baseline, this incredible insight, when you say things like, ah, oh, that's how I think, or when you have that inspiration, or you have a great conversation with your husband or friend, and you and you just get this depth of connection or something, that is you tapping into your unconscious mind. It knows what you can handle. Like you'll, you'll say things like, I can't get this, I can't do this anymore. And then suddenly you can do it. That's that's you pulling on the unconscious mind. So at the core of who you are, we have this beautiful wired for love component of, of our human nature. It's in our mind and it's also wired into our brain. On top of that, we have this ability to think, feel, and choose. So we don't always listen to this wisdom of our unconscious mind. And we can get into these patterns that build. So we build on top of the healthy, normal, the, the baseline wisdom we wire these things on top and we create habits over 63 days, nine week cycles, which we don't even, you maybe didn't even know that, but we do it. We practice it and we practice it. And within nine weeks, you've now created these, a lot of toxicity around the wisdom. And then these are the things that have got lots of energy because whatever you think about the most will grow. So you're in a situation where you know you should listen to your daughter or your husband or not get triggered by that social media post or what, certain politicians have just said again that are just insane and we respond from this instead of this so what i'm saying is that you use when you use the five steps you find these you embrace them and you actually find why because if you look at a tree it's got roots there's a tree trunk and their branches these this this is a tree that's generating a a, a smell all trees have got flowers think of it of a pine tree it, it emanates a smell comes from it so those are the signals so imagine that this is this is a, an, a you know when flowers die and you throw the, the water out and mm-hmm. you throw them into the bays it smells awful that sulfuric smell okay recall that smell that's what these kind of things emanate this awful sulfuric rotten egg kind of smell um, and that that smell, and I'm using that as an analogy, are the warning signals. So the depression and the anxiety are the warning signals. But instead of running away from the smell, you say, okay, it's a horrible smell, but hang on, I can make that a good smell. And you grab those, and those are the physical and emotional warning signals, the how you feel in your body, the how you're feeling in your emotions. You grab those, and then from those, you look at your behaviors. Where are the behaviors? The branches. So you see this tree is made of branches. This tree is a thought. The thought is whatever. And a thought is made of memories, like a tree is made of branches. Look how many memories there are in this thought. So as you bring up one thought, there's a bunch of stuff you'll think of, a whole lot of stuff's going through your head, a whole lot of memories associated and correlated and integrated into that thought. So you don't just think of one thing, you're thinking of one tree, but the tree's got lots of branches. Mm. That tree's also got a perspective. So when you look at life through this, you generate a perspective, life sucks this is never going to work, whatever. What is the perspective? What's the overarching view of this thought? Mm. And then where does that come from? 
What are the roots? What's the origin story? What's the cause? So here you experience something. You have a relationship forming with a husband or a friend or whatever or a work colleague, and and you have a, a, a negative interaction. That's a seed that's planted, and then another one happens. So now it grows roots, and then this here's all the negative interactions, mm-hmm. and then they're happening over time. And within nine weeks, you have you you immediately grow all the branches but it's it's only a few branch few roots and a thin little thing and a few branches and then next interaction more roots thicker branch more and so it grows and grows within nine weeks it's it's this habit habits don't take 21 days that's just a myth their habits take to it to 63 days to form once a habit has formed it goes into this non-conscious this wise part of us and we have this and then this non-conscious mind which is wired for survival and survival is optimism and wanting to survive and get through so then your the non-conscious mind says hey this thing is creating toxic energy let's get rid of it like you want to get rid of a virus so then this then sends signals through the subconscious the subconscious is a bridge between the non-conscious and the conscious so then your conscious mind, you're feeling edgy and you're feeling on, you know, nervous and there's tension and you find yourself, you know, saying all these things and doing whatever. That is a message from your non-conscious through your subconscious and you need to pay attention. Most of the time we don't. We just flip out or we freak out or we just go on or we push it back down and we just kind of survive. And, and then we get weak and weak over time and eventually we just start collapsing and then we build coping strategies that aren't always. And, and so the cycle goes on. But we don't have to live like that. My 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 situation with my daughter was restored within within a few minutes. Okay, we only had a chance to talk about it an hour later, but it could have been. We we, we know arguments. Forget that if it be my daughter, it could have been a friend, it could have been my husband, it could have been whoever, a work colleague. We know that these relationships can can break for a long time if you don't control it. You can get yourself in rumination and overgeneralization if you don't control it. So what I'm saying is that with the five steps, you can learn to recognize the odor. You can take that odor, not be frightened of it. And the odor is the warning signals. It's the depression, the anxiety, the tension in your body, the GI symptoms, the heart palpitations, the whatever. Um, the physical things that are forming and happening, you can learn to recognize those for what they are, they're symptoms. And then you can look at your behaviors. How am I behaving? Why am I suddenly so, so much more irritable or mm-hmm. overreactive? And and then you look at all your behaviors and, and the self-examination, the self-regulation is what we are designed to do. The minute you do that, you could still be in the midst of toxicity, still depressed, still snapping, still irritable, still whatever, but you've chosen to say, okay, why am I doing this? The minute you do that, your brain starts getting balance. If you don't do that, this causes brain damage. But as soon as I embrace it, and I, which means that I gather awareness of it, I bring it into my conscious mind, I weaken all the protein bonds this is made of protein in my brain this is real this is not some fictitious analogy you actually build trees in your brain on your neurons these things are called dendrites they're made of protein you're doing it right now 400 million actions per second you're taking my words and you're growing trees in your brain you have trillions of trees from every experience very bad every moment. <laughs> think of a think of a huge think of a huge they're not dead they're very alive but they're scary you know they're like super scary trees though that one looks think like a dead tree sorry i know <laughs> a i know dead tree <laughs> it does it does well it's a dead tree but it's an alive dead tree so think of it like one of those you know like a, a positive the, see you're 
positive. <laughs> positive. <laughs> I'm thinking of, of of Lord of the Rings. Think of those, you know, yeah. the dead. The dead. They're very much alive, but it's it, they look dead. So it's it's an alive deadness if you want to toxicity mm-hmm. sort of. That's thing. How I feel. Alive yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So that's and that's and it's good you just said it. Just by you, just by you acknowledging that you've already embraced it. You've brought it into consciousness and you've now weakened the protein bonds, which means it's malleable, which means it's changeable. But if it's suppressed and you just keep pushing it down and you think that you're bad, you make this worse. Mm. And the, the symptoms become worse. You cause brain damage. But if you bring it up, just by the mere act of saying, I feel like that, you've already weakened the bonds and your brain shifted. So the brain damage is starting to heal. You can start healing that damage within seconds just by the shift of attitude. And so as you do the work over 63 days of working through down to the roots, which is what you do, use the five steps daily over six over 63 days. Well, the mm-hmm. first 21 days, it's very intensive and where you do 15 to 45 minutes a day. And then the next 42 days, it's literally seven seconds a day. So it's really easy. You can then get to the, the bottom of that. Now, that doesn't mean that you do the, the you do that five steps daily, 15 to 45 minutes over six over 21 days and then seven seconds a day for the next 42. That's your cycle. That's the neuro, the neurocycles, the five steps. That's the time frame. You do that for toxic traumas, big stuff, small stuff. Mm. You do that for toxic habits. You do that for building a new good habit. Let's say that you want to like the normal New Year's resolution. People want to eat better and exercise more and all that stuff. Be nicer to their to their spouses or whatever it may be. Um, that's building a new habit. You would do it, you'd use the five <laughs> steps daily over 63 days. But you can also use them as a life hack, like I did with my daughter the other day, like I did with with just recently, we had a terrible trauma in our family, in our extended family. And you can listen to one of it's my second last podcast where we had a, um, a suicide attempt in, in an extended member of our family. And I was in hospital with them and it was like they were dying in front of me and they survived. But that I was in a terrible place, as you can imagine, our, the whole family, but I happened to be the one that found them and got them to hospital and I mean this was like I died it was terrible in that situation I the only way I coped and stayed calm enough that they actually let me stay with this person because mm-hmm. suicide they don't attempt they, they kick the, any family members out it doesn't matter who you are and this is an extended family member so you can understand <laughs> it's even more difficult to stay in mm-hmm. um, I use a neurocycle I did that breathing I, 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 I was walking around the hospital bed I was holding so I was moving and I was and I was managing to keep a calm enough face that they didn't kick me out and I could stay there mm-hmm. and that person said if I had gone they would have died I mean they, they that was that lifeline that extension how did I cope and stay calm and hold it together because this is a very very dear person that I love dearly I was neurocycling and as I neurocycled mm-hmm. I got the because I was so so white so in such a state that my brain was, I couldn't think straight. So mm-hmm. I knew that I had to breathe. I had to neurocycle so that I would get wisdom to control the situation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I spoke to the right people and everything worked out okay. But in a situation like that, you can lose your loved one to the psych yeah. system. You can you can say the wrong thing. You can fall apart and move out the room and that's the mm-hmm. lifeline. You, you, you have to have your head on. In an acute, didn't mean I wasn't depressed, anxious. I was in a terrible state of despair. But I managed to still get myself through that situation. It didn't mean I wasn't crying. It didn't mean I wasn't freaking out. But I managed to keep my brain in order that I could actually get wisdom. I needed wisdom in that situation. And I got to 15 hours later, we got out of there in one piece and the person's on the other side of healing, thank God. And 
but it was so in other words you can use this neurocycling because it is how you use your mind to manage your mind mm. to direct how you change your brain and your body so with this neuroplastic there's a long answer sorry no, no absolutely no i wanted to ask you um because i'm also wondering does this technique help people who are having anxiety attacks panic attacks because i know like for example tamin and i talk about this quite a bit on the podcast is that we both have a fear of death so oftentimes at night, you know, we'll find ourselves lying awake, you know, can't go to sleep. And then I start, you know, I start getting a little sweaty and then feeling every night, same time, <laughs> yep, like clockwork, you know, feeling like that death, like fear of death coming on, you know, and it's probably even gotten worse since, you know, we became, oh, good. but, yeah. um, but, you know, so is that like a technique that you would use to suppress something like, or like, do you? Not suppressed, but to actually go through that kind of an experience. Absolutely. So that's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked that. So to help you understand how it will work, don't see it as a technique, but see it as a system. This is the system of how you manage. It's mind management. So what you're needing in that situation is not a technique. It's actually a system that then incorporates techniques. So mm -hmm. what I what I teach the neurocycle that is in cleaning up your mental mess, and I've also got an app, by the way, that goes with this. It's called Switch currently, but it's changing to neurocycle like next mm -hmm. month. And that I walk you through. So it's like therapy. I walk you through. You've got my voice and videos and everything actually walking you through the process of mm -hmm. that that I've written up in the book. So yes, and there's even one in there for in the in the app, there's a there's one for panic attacks. So mm -hmm. yes, it's the same five steps I've got for anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Because an anxiety and a panic attack, the fear of death is a root cause. If you have the fear of death, there is everyone's to a certain extent got a fear of death, but it's going to happen at certain. So as a parent, I know what you're saying. I mean, when you have kids, you suddenly think, how am I going to keep mm -hmm. my kid in a bubble for the rest of their life so they never mm -hmm. get in a car, never have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they right. just stay in a box the whole life so they don't ever, you know, which is how we think, but you can't, it's not realistic. Every time you let your child, wait, wait till your kids learn to drive and start going out and go to university. And it's bad enough when you just let them go to play school. And I mean, not that that's happening at the moment um, with COVID. So the fear of death is the, is the thought, but there's a root. And it's got symptoms. Your symptoms are coming out as you're going to sleep. So what are those symptoms? The adrenaline rush, physical. Probably, you probably get a whoosh of adrenaline. Oh, you're yeah. sitting the same time. You sometimes. Sleep. Sometimes I just go, ah! Isn't right? that strange? That's so, strange. so that's, no, it's not strange at all. That is just how your body is responding. So it's a physical a physical warning signal. Mm. That scream is telling you there's something primal that you need to deal with. There's a reason why you've got this terrible fear of death. And honestly, it may sound so cheesy, but we actually have to learn to come to terms and come to peace, get peace with death because it's going to happen it's inevitable and the fear of death that is keeping you awake you just you basically see that um that whoosh that of adrenaline that panic that's whatever it is as the signal then you can look at your behaviors which are not being able to sleep or sleep's being affected you've got to look down at your perspective how is it affecting your general perspective of life is it overarching is it an, is are you viewing life through the fear of death what are and then why? What are the root causes? So if you did the five steps daily over 63 days, mm -hmm. um, and as I said, the first 21 days, it's 15 to 45 minutes, and then it's only seven seconds to 10 seconds a day, you will find why, and you will reconceptualize, because what you'll do is embrace the fear of death, you'll process it, and you'll reconceptualize it. The easiest way to understand this, I'll give you two visuals. The one visual is the Kintsugi principle, which you may or may not know of. Mm. It's the Japanese art of when a, a vase, a beautiful vase, falls to the ground and shatters in a thousand pieces. Normally, we would just sweep it away and throw it away. They don't. They will meticulously pick up every single piece and rebuild the vase 
using gold lacquer or platinum. And so in the so eventually you have this beautiful new vase and it's got all these veins of the gold lacquer. So it's the story of your life. So our lives feel shattered and through the five steps of which is mind management, which we do every two, we should train ourselves to do every 10 seconds because that's what neuroscientifically you're doing anyway. So with you doing, if you're not conscious, you could be doing it badly. So I'm trying to make people conscious of how to manage their mind all the time. Um, you then can take the shattered pieces of your life and our life shatters daily with that's the mental mess and rebuild that into this beautiful vase. So at the end of 63 days, you'll have this beautiful vase with all the cracks in it, which is your story of why you fear death or why you've got that relational issue or, and you, and it tracks back to some sort of trauma or whatever that you've experienced. Reconceptualizing doesn't mean that the fear of death is just going to miraculously go away, but you're going to manage it. It's like grief the person's gone, they've died, it's not going to get better over time. It's the worst thing we can say to someone who's who's just lost a loved one or grieving through a loss of a pet or whatever, grief of loss. But you, over time, you learn to mind manage it. That's the difference. You learn to be able to reconceptualize it and see it in that vase. Another way of looking at it is if you buy an ugly old house and you're going to renovate it, you buy this ugly old house, you can see the potential in your mind on the plan and you, as you walk through taking photos of the mold and the ugliness of the house and the terrible carpets and the design and then it's bashed down and then you have this beautiful new design and you create this beautiful new house and you have this beautiful new mental space that's what these five steps are doing these five steps are helping you create a mental space that you remember how the house looked but you've now re-deconstructed and reconstructed so we don't want to suppress anything but we want to make it work for us so these five steps teach you how to take that argument take that that frustration take that fear of death and make it work for you it's real fear of death is going to probably be with you the rest of your life but mm. with this process you'll learn how to manage it that you can reconceptualize it and accept it and find mental peace and that's what i'm talking about it's unrealistic to say if you're having a bad day stand in front of the mirror and do five positive affirmations or put in your five gratitude statements when i see that i tear my hair out because mm. it will make you feel worse if you don't have your root dealt with if you right. don't go through the whole process of understanding why the gratitude statements are a band-aid on a pussy wound and that pussy wound is not going anywhere until you've addressed why the wound is pussy in the first place so that's what i'm saying we've got to fix the wound we've got to go right to the core of why that wound is in your body and it keeps festering and you've got the boil that keeps festering and I'm using a really gross example but an oozing pussy wound there is a reason why it keeps coming back it may go away for a while with a bit of medication like fluconazole or something and then it comes back again there is something in your body that's wrong and you have to find that and very often the root of that kind of thing is is some sort of a yeast infection in your gut and you address that and Suddenly, you don't have the boils anymore. And I mean, I don't know why that example came to my head. But anyway, it was it's a good one because it's right. visual. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do. But we remember we had that. And it's from time to time, you may do something or eat something because just thinking toxically all the time increases your vulnerability. So if you've got a tendency to get boils, mm -hmm. um, that, that means there's some genetic mutation in your body. And that means that if you're under extreme stress, there's a chance you'll get it again. So you may hide it on the outside, but it will come out somewhere in your body. And that's where the, in my clinical trials, I showed that with my two groups, my control, my experimental group. We looked at the psychology. We looked at the narrative, which is the most important, the person's story, the holistic story. We looked in the brain. We looked at the DNA. We looked at the blood. We looked at like a lot of different factors. And those people that were in the control group, which is the group that didn't get any mind management, didn't get the neurocycle, 
they their lives literally fell apart. I tell you, at the end of the nine weeks, they were begging. They didn't know about the neurocycle, but they were begging for help. And we gave, obviously gave them the, 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 the app, the neurocycle app, so that they could manage their mind. But literally, if you have awareness of your issues, yeah. and we, we all to a certain extent have, and some of us are really good at suppressing, but eventually, because thoughts are alive and living, even though they look dead, it's the dead alive, the alive dead, whatever you want to call them. These things are so active and so so damaging to the brain and the body that even your, your DNA is going to change. So if you keep them and suppress them, think of the DNA strand, that ladder. Mm-hmm. Think of a chromosome, pull it out, and you'll have a little X shape. Look at my nails, they're red. The red nails represent the end of the chromosomes, which are called telomeres. Telomeres are vital um, for the health of a cell to replicate itself. Your cells are constantly replicating. Every moment of every day, it's, there's, there's close to a million replications happening in your cells at any one second. Mm. So you are constantly making new cells. The health of those cells is based upon the health of your little red fingernails, the telomeres. Mm. They are, we see from recent research that your telomeres are literally the health or a are a proxy for your mental health. In other words, the way you're managing your mind is going to be reflected in your telomeres. And we saw this. We saw, we, we did radical research because over the years, they thought that only um, took like five years to see changes in your telomeres. We saw changes in nine weeks, mm-hmm. which is like radical. Um, and so what happens is that your cells are replacing themselves and these little telomeres are involved in that process. If you are totally aware, but not dealing with your stuff and just living in this constant cycle of rumination and you know, just not accepting mm-hmm. and trying to suppress it, you are going to shorten the telomeres and your biological age, the age of your cells is going to get older than your actual age. Mm. So we had some of our subjects in the control group that their biological and chronological age were 30 years separated, up to 30 years. So we had 35 year olds with bodies, with biological bodies of 66, sickly 60 year olds, which is insane. (laughs) But in nine weeks, we reversed that. We reversed that in nine weeks and how through my management, through living in the neurocycle. So we had these, these our subjects, the the experimental subjects who got the techniques. Mm. I mean, some of them, because it's all random, it was all randomly statistically, it's very gold standard. I did RCT, random controlled trials, very, very um, high level science. Um, our experimental group, some of them were like in such, I mean, some of them were like suicidal it was their last attempt. They they had done everything. And they said, okay, this is the last thing I'm going to do. And if this doesn't work, that's it. I'm out of here. And we had those subjects, their lives were transformed. They, they would say things to us like at day 21, which is not even the whole cycle. Mm-hmm. It's only a third of the way saying that I'm still depressed. I still, but no, no, let me rephrase it. They said, I still feel depressed. But I've shifted from I am depressed Mm -hmm. to I feel depressed and I know why I'm depressed and I know how to manage my depression. That's very, very different to how they started at the beginning, which was I am depressed, I'm hopeless. To with by within 21 days, they were I'm still depressed, but I'm not depressed. I'm I my identity is not depression. Mm -hmm. My identity is now shifted over to I feel depressed. I now am starting to see why and I now can manage it or anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. So we saw, and we saw all those changes in the brain, your brain, your non-conscious mind and your body will change before your conscious mind is aware. So I also developed a scale, which I talk about all of these in, in the book and I make it very simple. You, you'll, you'll see it when you, if you look at the book that there's lots of graphs and there's a section where I write about the clinical trials, but I make it very simple and you don't even have to read the science because there's a section that says 
all over the place. What does this mean for you? So if you skip all the signs, just look at the colored pictures and then what does this mean for you? You'll, you'll see like the, as simple as I've explained the telomeres, what that means for you. It means that mind management is going to help you get stronger telomeres. And just by you saying, I am not, I'm, I'm not depression. I feel depressed because the telomeres started growing. But mm -hmm. by saying I am depression and I give up and I suppress mm -hmm. and I just go into a pat cycle of ruminating and just living my day, getting sick and sick and hating life, mm -hmm. the telomeres shortened. But by by saying I feel, still feel depressed, I still feel anxious, I'm still going to have days, but I know what to do. Immediately, the telomeres changed. The brain energy changed. The mm -hmm. blood levels changed. We saw significant changes in cortisol. Now, we all know about cortisol. We all know cortisol, when it's high, it's not good for you, et cetera, et cetera. When your cortisol is high, your DHA, DHEA drops. And that ratio is very important for just mental stability. And um, it, so what we what normally happens when we're very toxic and we, and we deny it or we suppress it or we don't deal with it, we don't, in other words, we don't mind manage, the cortisol levels will shoot through the roof, the DHE levels will drop, that will then set up a cycle of inflammation throughout your body. So they will get things like homocysteine, which you might have heard of, increasing. And things like prolactin, which is, as a, as mothers, you'll know, prolactin is what we think only women have when they breastfeed. No, males and females have prolactin. It's a neurohormone, and it's more and more research being done on it, and it's it's very linked to mind management, how we're managing our mind in any one moment. And we see that even that increases. But the minute someone can say, okay, I accept this, I embrace this, I I am battling. My husband's sick. My child's sick. There's a threat of suicide. There's this, there's this pressure financially. Life is just awful. The mm. minute you say that, you're telling me I start growing. Mm. But, 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 I, but I don't, because I'm not saying life is awful and I can't cope. I'm saying life, I'm acknowledging it. I'm embracing mm. it and saying, okay, but there's a but, a big but. And the big but is, but I can learn to manage this. Mm. I can do something. Here's something I can get my mind under control, whatever that looks like. So in the book, I have, categorized into toxic trauma so traumas big trauma small trauma um small traumas are just as important big trauma would be like mm. a, an event like a, a, a sexual abuse or a loss of a loved one like really big hit in your face obvious traumas uh, a small t or secondary trauma would be something like caring for a loved one so for example my the my extended family who tried to commit suicide they would have experienced trauma and then us, we experience this the trauma too, but also a level of all of us are now in secondary trauma that we're dealing with. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. If you're constantly bullied, um, that's lots of little traumas that are building up to a big trauma. So it's just it's not that one is worse than the other. It's just that they're different, mm -hmm. but they play out in the brain and they need to be dealt with. If they're not dealt with, they're causing brain damage because your brain's wired for love and survival. So it tries to get rid of these. So in the one section of the book, I help you to identify the traumas and how to detox the traumas over the 63 days and sometimes traumas are so bad that you're going to need 20 20 of these cycles or I, I don't know there's no pattern if you, and people if you don't want to go over the traumas i think that's they don't what want people, to they that's why they suppress because they like they don't want to live just exactly. say someone was sexually abused why exactly. would you ever want to fix that but the problem mm -hmm. is if you don't fix it or it if explodes. you don't get down there mm -hmm. and it's just going to consistently it's, be with you and you're not going to live your best life so it's like you have to go to that you have place to. You have yeah. to. It's it's like when you have surgery, if you've got a, a, a need for surgery for something. Mm -hmm. um, my whole pelvic floor collapsed after having four kids, and I had no option but to have surgery. And it was very complex surgery that they did over like constantly over four years. I just couldn't seem to fix it. But they, I was in so much pain for large periods of time, but the, then now I'm healed. So in other words, 
when you face the stuff and you embrace process, it gets worse before it gets better. It's scary looking at this. And that's why people do try and suppress you quite right. But you can't because they're living in dynamic, even though they're the living dead. They will explode in your body. You cannot ignore the broken pelvic floor, the pussy boil, the sexual trauma. It will explode. Eventually, you will get to the point where your body will collapse in some way. Wherever there's a genetic flaw in, the, in your family bloodline, that generally, that generally will get hit first. And then you'll get a bunch of other stuff. So you, it will explode. So you may as well take control. Mm -hmm. And that's what I saw with my research and my years of clinical practice and stuff is that you, there's a pathway to empowerment. It's very painful. The only way out is through. Mm -hmm. And as you face it, it will get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. The whole point is you want to give people control. And that's what I've seen in my research, what I've seen in my practice, what I've seen in my own life and working with thousands of people. Now, if you reach millions around the world, is that when you are prepared to embrace and do that painful work and recognize there's time. The nine-week cycles, the 63-day cycles, you will get through it. You suddenly have this empowerment where you are feeling um, autonomy, which is a sense of independence. People collapse when they feel hopeless. If you get told you have a neuro neuro neuropsychiatric brain disease and you, you're going to have it the rest of your life, that takes away hope. And and meanwhile, that person maybe was a child who was comes from drug addict parents and was dumped in an orphanage and was never loved and was given never fed whatever and now that child's manifesting with problems and then they get told they have schizophrenia and they've got to take medication that's not that child's that's you're making it the child's fault it's not their fault they have a story and the story mm -hmm. needs to be addressed and yes there's the manifestation of the behavioral symptoms and so on but those need to be addressed they're just a symptom mm. of the underlying but we're taking the symptom and we're making it the disease and then we don't treat the person and then their whole story and that's what i'm trying to help people to understand is that we've got to look at the whole person. And here's a hardcore scientific way that you can manage your mind in the acute traumas, in the in the, in the the big traumas, in acute trauma, like acute traumas, if there's a sudden death, if there's a sudden suicide, if there's a sudden loss of finances, if there's a, you know, the big the stuff that blindsides you, that's acute trauma. That's different to mm -hmm. big trauma, little trauma. So I've got, I talk about how to manage those, how you can build, preemptively build those lattices into your brain and, and your mind. Um, there's also dealing with um, dealing with things like bad habits, toxic habits. We just develop toxic habits. How, and those also are, are, are damaging to the brain. They're causing brain damage. They're causing damage to every cell of your body. So I talk about how to deal with those. I talk about how to brain build, which is one of the most un misunderstood and the strongest ways of healing mental health. Every single patient that's ever gone through my hands, the first thing I would do was brain building. And that was the same five steps. But instead of dealing with the traumas, I first made them stronger. I first held, not I didn't make them, that's the wrong way of saying it. I first taught them how to make themselves stronger in their mind and their brains more resilient. So brain building is learning new information. The brain building section in this book, you can learn and you can use it with your kids and you can teach your kids. It's basically, you can, you can use this They've got to learn their schoolwork. They've got to learn skills. You can use the five steps to, to, to learn. And in learning, you're building your brain. You yourself can do it you, as you prepare for a podcast, as you mm -hmm. prepare to, you can use the five steps to learn. So there's the brain building aspect too, which builds tremendous changes inside the brain that increase your mental resilience. So it's like, a, that's why it's the first, in, this, in the second part of the book, it's all the practical how to, how to manage your mind. Brain building is the first thing. Like you clean your teeth every day and you eat every day and you exercise, you have to brain build. We, I brain build for 
two hours, you, there's no limit to the amount of time you brain build. I will brain build, build in chunks of at least two hours a day where I study science related to my field. But then I also brain build like when I read the news. I don't just read the news. I scan and then I find certain articles and I compare. I use the five steps. I'm always brain building. Mm. Um, then I talk about things, you know, the, the different traumas and whatever. And then I have hack, hacks. Like if you're caught in the moment, like that argument with my daughter, like the like you you someone sends you a text that's awful and you just get thrown by those words. Mm. What do you do in that moment to catch yourself? So you can use those five steps in five seconds, five minutes, mm -hmm. 45 minutes. You know, it, so there's it's it's how you manage your mind. You're always thinking. So my argument, as I said in the beginning, if you're always thinking, you may as well direct how you think. Because when you think and feel and choose, you're going to build these physical thoughts into your brain. And so these are the results. Um, does this um, take the place of traditional therapy and medication for somebody who's like struggling or dealing with something? Like, does this process sort of like take over from that? So I'm so glad you asked that question. You ask great questions, by the way, both of you. Um, that it doesn't take over therapy. Therapy, you'll see throughout the book, I encourage and throughout my apps and throughout all the neurocycles that I have built into the app and throughout my lives, my podcast, I always encourage people to find someone to talk to. We not a to be quantum physics shows us very clearly. It's not about you. It's about you in the world. We need that contact. Like you two are friends. You help each other. That is in a form of, in itself therapy. Your formal therapy therapist I mean, they they specialize. It's great to go and see your therapist once a week or twice a week. They they are a godsend. Therapists, I work with so many therapists. I've trained thousands of therapists. I've trained thousands of physicians. So no, it doesn't replace therapy mm. because it's a system. It's a how you manage your mind. So what do you do if you go to therapy once a week? What are you doing the other six and a half days? Mm -hmm. What are you doing for 24? You're living with yourself 24-7. How do you manage your mind 24-7? So your therapy is your little booster you know in the week mm. it's your it's your culmination you so i have thousands of therapists that use that have their, their patients using the the techniques in my book and on the app because i've written this is my 19th book um it's uh, the it's the most simple explanation of all of this and the most updated version um but that that, are, that their patients are using this stuff i've got clinics around the world so into the system it's a vehicle for how you manage your mind to change your brain, to direct your neuroplasticity. The neuroplasticity is how you change your brain with your mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can put, like every therapist is going to have their techniques that they've developed. You know, some of the, they use mixtures of CBT and ACT and all these fancy names mm -hmm. are, are little tools, but they're not enough on their own. And if you use them in the wrong place, they won't work for you. So mm -hmm. all the little exercises and things generally would come either in a brain prep, like I spoke about breathing and mm -hmm. havening, which is the touching or the movement at the brain prep, or they come in the active reach. The middle part is the process of how you are actually accessing mm -hmm. and building. So I want people to recognize you're human, you've got a mind, you can't get away from your mind, you may as well manage it. And as you hit your crises, you can recognize, hey, I'm in a crisis, I need to see a therapist, I need to talk to a loved one, I need to to. So just this afternoon, I was walking in for a walk with my my one daughter, my youngest daughter, in between in a million interviews, and um, slight exaggeration there. I don't think I can put a million <laughs> interviews in a day. Um, and we do just, yeah. <laughs> always every day. Yeah, always every day, working, know, okay? Yeah, always <laughs> working. So uh, 
I know I, I identify with you. But we went for a walk and she was just saying, mom, is it a good time now for me to talk to you? So she recognized in herself that she just wanted to talk about something. And I said, yeah, this is a great time. We're walking, so let's talk about it. In other words, it's the preemptively being able to process through and recognize. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she had, my kids are so trained in this that they do it automatically, that they, they recognize the signals and they start like automatically going through in five seconds and then they recognize they need to talk to someone, you know, that kind of thing. So that's an example. So it doesn't replace. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, you know, with our children, I mean, today I snapped at my seven-year-old and I felt like, to, you know, today it wasn't really a fight. It was more just I exploded. I'm actually proud of myself that I went up to her and I, after two minutes, I sat, got down to her level and I said, I'm so sorry. Fantastic. I said, I'm so sorry. I am so overwhelmed. I need you to help me. And what happens when you don't help me is I feel like we're not feeling well. Mm -hmm. I just need you to be there for me like I'm there for you. And I, I didn't feel so good that I had snapped at her, but I was proud of myself that I had come and apologized. Because I Excellent. think back in the day, like our parents and their parents and their parents, like it was just kind of like, you know, it your parents were, your was. parents were kind of, you're kind of scared of them in a way, you know, yeah, like yeah. they would be like, no, this is wrong. And you'd never really talk through it. And you'd never really hear like I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. So I guess like as parenting kind of changes and evolves, it's like, I want my daughter to know that I fuck up too, you know? And then exactly. maybe what happens is in the future, she will realize when she does it to her children that she'll go, oh, okay. My mom is not perfect and mm -hmm. she also screws up so I and don't, that's I don't exactly, know I like no that was per, you did a five-step neurocycle without <laughs> even realizing it because you recognize your symptoms you 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 recognize your signals you actually evaluated your behaviors you saw your perspective you found the root and you actually then your active reach was you, you basically did it you gathered awareness reflected visually wrote whatever rechecked and you went to her and your active reach was this active apology so you turned something that was potentially brain damaging into healing mm -hmm. So you did that. So, I mean, that's what we, and as you quite right, there's two things happening here. One thing, yes, parenting has changed. We were, I grew up saying, you, my mother, you say, why are you apologizing to your children? I said, because I've done something wrong. If I've done mm -hmm. something wrong, we need to recognize in the messiness of replay, of relationships, you can then repair and grow. And that's what you did today. You recognize the messiness of the relationship. I recognized it with my daughter the other day. Um, and I re you can repair and you can grow. So you don't have to feel guilt about feeling bad. You can feel celebratory because you recognized, you fixed, you taught her a lesson, you learned something, you're enriched from the relationship. There's been growth in the relationship and you've taught her a skill. If we don't fall as parents, how are we ever going to teach our kids? To, to not cope. There's a whole group of baby boomers that are battling with dealing with life, very similar sort of symptoms. And I don't like to generalize and put people in a box, but they came from an era where you didn't ever get apologized. You know, your parents were always right and you were always wrong. Mm -hmm. And never, you didn't speak about those things. You, you just like survived, you just lived. Mm -hmm. And that is not a healthy situation. What you did, what I did with my daughter, that's what we should be doing. We don't have to be perfect because we are mom. We have to be human. And we at the core of us, there is that perfection. So you dive down and you found your perfection in that situation today. And that's what I'm talking about in this whole thing. When it, whatever situation, you didn't even realize it, but you basically did those five steps. But you so managed your you managed your mind. How do you how do you take that though? Because uh, like Tamin said earlier, our kids are, you know, six and seven years old. 
and she even has a younger one that's two. But like when they're we're in these sort of situations, how do you train them to use these five steps? Like what is the a way? lot of the, a lot of it's coming from modeling. So like what you did with your daughters today when you and um, when you said. Um, you know that you that process when you explain to her that I'm battling, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm sorry about a snack, but this is why I did it. You've actually done the fact. You've actually shown them. You've, you've shown them that you were aware. So you gathered awareness of your reaction. You then show them how you reflected. You actually said you did this because of this. So you, the second step is ask, answer, discuss. It's why, why, why. So you are verbalizing. I did this. Gather awareness. I did it because. Reflect. You talked and explained and you with kids you could draw pictures you can do there's a there's a system of writing that I call metacogs and with younger kids you call bubble it's called bubble cogs um it's in the book and in the pre people pre-order there's actually a chapter coming out for kids and I've got a kids version coming out as well there's a whole Mm. children's book and app and everything coming out it's in it's in the process of being written but there is already help there but you basically can use um props and toys and and whatever the age age appropriate you know the younger the child is I, my youngest patient has been a two and a three-year-old my kids have learned this from the age of two i've been teaching them basic you feel you you speaking for them and it's props and it's drawing and it's dolls and toys and things when they're younger but if they've like bite their sister or brother or something then you'll you know there's crying whatever you 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 can show them through props and basic explanations of let's see what we did why did we do it um images props whatever for the right section and then for the recheck section is okay should is that the best way should we bite when we frustrated you know i'm going on that level or that wasn't my best response but i need you to help me that's that's recheck when you said that your daughter you did a recheck and then the active reach was probably a hug and let's work at this together and so now you've got a little plan you've actually demonstrated for your children um, that you've got that little plan in place so there's literally you can take trees and you can and you can draw take a tree and draw a tree and say okay so what's the the smell coming out what do you feel in your body what do you feel in your mind and you might have to verbalize the emotions okay let's look at the little branches what are you doing what am i doing whatever and then you can take the tree trunk how does it make you how are you looking at things i don't like my sister or i hate you or whatever Mm -hmm. that's their perspective why do you feel like that? Okay, let's look at the roots. Let's see how, you know, we plant the seed. You could even grow a tree if they're young. You know, there's, you can really get creative, but it's just to get them into that sequence of flowing through those steps. If they grow up like my kids, now my youngest is nearly 23. It's just a life. They're doing it automatically. Mm-hmm. They've grown up with it. You know, and I've refined over the years, and as I've refined it, I've obviously taught them the most updated level of it, but it's 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 habit. It's, a, it's, it's become automatized over 63 days plus. Well, we could talk to you for probably yes. six more hours. <laughs> I didn't even ever I looked at the go. time and I was like, oh my gosh, it felt like two minutes. I was like, you know, when you're really into something like a movie, yeah. and you're like, how is it over? Yeah. Um, I know. And it's 10 past eight. My goodness. I didn't even I know. Realize. My child came out naked. I was like, so glad she wasn't in the back of this podcast. And she's <laughs> like, hilarious. comes out and goes, gets a block of chocolate. And I can't say anything because we're live. So she uh, just walks in naked, takes some chocolate and walks out because she's smart. She's manipulative and she's smart. <laughs> so she so, knew. So then you can do a five step with her when I'm you can give it goes you know this is what you did and this is <laughs> yeah the other day I said you know you just manipulated me and she goes I don't know what manipulated means and I said well manipulated means that you will you'll do something and you'll try different tactics to get it and you'll do anything to try to get it and she goes yeah you're right <laughs> there you go she and then my me. husband's like well who did she get it from and I'm like eh, me yeah this is me I thought you were gonna say you <laughs> No, it was me. It was me. I'm the one who used to, used to, I'm much better now, but like I try to do anything I could. I I used to just call it like, I don't know, having, trying to 
be a businesswoman. You kind of just yeah. have to do whatever, which way to get it. Yeah. But um, yeah. so how do people, I know there's a lot of different ways that people can find you. Tell us uh, everything people can read, listen to, go to. I know you have seminars. I don't know if you're doing them now online. Just tell us yeah. where people can find you. Well, the easiest way is just to go to drleaf.com, my webpage, because everything's on there. The book is on pre, I'm not sure when, this book is released on the 2nd of March. So I'm not sure if it's the podcast when they hear this is out or not, but basically it's on pre-order now, which and you can go to clean, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. That's the name of the book, cleaningupyourmentalmess.com or drleaf.com or wherever books are sold and they can pre-order that or get that. Um, my podcast is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, where I talk about all these things all the time and also interview guests. Social media, Dr. Caroline Leaf is my handle. Every day we put out two, two, two to three posts related to these concepts. So great place to get lots of help. Mm, well, I so feel like I'm already fixed. And I, I will change the whole <laughs> evening. Change the whole evening. All my trauma has gone since this last hour and a half. Um, Good. I will be nicer to my family members. <laughs> but it doesn't. Um, Tamin, don't you think that it does seem manageable to employ this process? I yeah. feel like it, it could be it could be something that becomes a habit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Look, I've been in therapy for many, 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 many years. And I probably suffered anxiety for 20 years. Um, and I have, I do believe that these types of, you might not call it uh, CBT, which is cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, but oh, it's kind behavior. of a form, form of it. It's a um, technique. Yeah. It's a technique. It does, it does work. The problem is life happens sometimes. And unless you are, like you said, doing it consistently and constantly for X amount of time and it becomes a habit, what happens is you start to slide. And I, I feel like my emotional and mental state definitely starts okay. to slide when I'm not, and that's when I'm not okay. working on it, you know? And that's okay. But what, so we, CBT would fit in as, as in step five. It's techniques mm-hmm. that you can use to keep you going. But if you haven't done the other four steps, it, it's right. not going to work right. properly. It'll be, it'll be just sporadic help. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you fit CBT, 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 and all these things as an act of reach, an action, a technique mm-hmm. that you, but it's got to come after you've done the brain preparation and the other four steps, then Definitely. it'll work. So um, I'm buying the book. Yeah. <laughs> duh, we're going on pre-order. Everyone duh, needs to buy the book. And um, we're just so grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you uh, responded to my DM while I was in the bathtub a couple months ago. <laughs> and um, I feel like everything happens for a reason. So thank you Absolutely. so much for-, for Thank you giving so much much. wisdom to our listeners and uh, you can find us on women on top official on instagram and women on top podcast on facebook and don't forget to rate subscribe and comment y'all because we want to hear everything you guys have to say and we want to keep bringing you amazing uh, guests and content like you threw in a y'all because i'm in austin and (laughs) caroline's in texas so you're just like felt like you're back there (laughs) i'm like feeling my i heard that yeah, right, you haven't thrown in a y'all for like years, Roxy. Okay. <laughs> so don't, yeah, you're not so fooling right. anyone. Um, and I am Tamin Sursa. And I am Roxy Mary. And we are women on.